This is a podcast from Rover. G'day there, New Zealand. How are we doing? This is Rex. Today we're here until 12.30. Coming up for you, Dr. Suzanne Hodgkinson from the Riddit Institute. Some very interesting research being done at the moment on a global scale, led by her and others regarding protein. Some interesting listening. I urge you to do so in just a moment. Then we're going to be talking weather, a bit of a summer outlook with our good mate Phil Duncan from Weatherwatch. That's all coming up between now and 12.30. But first up on the programme today, new research in Massey universities leading the way in developing methods and data to produce nutrition guidelines that will form the life-saving diets of the future. Sounds very interesting. Riddit Institute Senior Research Officer Dr Suzanne Hodgkinson says that the old protein nutritional guidelines are known to be flawed and new ones are needed. She joins us now. Lovely to have you on the program. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Recently you were in Vienna and uh, this was at the behest of uh, the United Nations, uh, the Food and Agriculture Organisation, also the Atomic Energy Agency. What exactly was your MO while you were over there? The idea is they were pulling together both scientists from around the world and also policymakers to have a bit of a talk and update on what's happening with protein requirements But probably more importantly, some of the new methods that are now being used to determine protein quality. Now, the protein quality is something that you've been working on. It's one of your areas of expertise. And you've got uh, something called uh, the Digestible Indispensable Amino Acid Score. Explain exactly what that is and how people can use that to their benefit. Okay, I'll explain the basis behind it to start with. Mm. Protein is made up of the building blocks, which are amino acids. There are some amino acids that the body can synthesize and others that have to be supplied in the diet because our bodies cannot make them. Mm -hmm. So what we look at with this method is, first of all, we take the food. And another important point is that not all of the protein that is in a food can be digested and absorbed. Only a proportion will be, and that depends on the specific food. So we need to know what is the proportion of the different amino acids that can be absorbed, but this is then compared with what the body requires, how many of the different amino acids that the body requires. And a food that is probably highly digestible and contains a lot of the amino acids, the essential ones that our body requires, will have a much higher score than another one that doesn't have so many of these essential amino acids. So that's the kind of ranking that we use. And from this, we make a score which can be up to 100. We actually, can, Some of them can be more than 100. Um, and that's when we're looking at exactly what is the quality of that particular food in terms of protein. Okay, so um, if I was to say to you not all proteins are created equally, is that missing the mark completely or has that got something to do with it? That's totally true. There are certain, and we can look at it as certain types of protein that are both highly digestible and contain high proportions of the different essential amino acids and there are other ones that are we would consider less good quality because they are not so digestible and don't contain so many of the essential amino acids. Could you please give an example of potentially one or two that are on the end of the scale where they are digestible to maximum effect by the body as opposed to ones that aren't? Yep. Typically, the most high-quality proteins are dairy or meat sources. 
because they're very easy for the body to digest and for the amino acids. Typically, the plant's proteins tend to have a lower score, which means that if you're going to be eating plant proteins, you need to eat more of them to obtain enough essential amino acids. So just to recap that, in case people were sort of driving and go, okay, what did she just say? So um, red meat and dairy are good sources of protein, well digested by the body in terms of getting the maximum in terms of the amino acids out of that protein. That's true. Add in chicken as well, because basically all of the different meats are very high quality and the dairy products and eggs. Right, okay, so that is uh, very sound and solid information. You've said um, that the old protein nutritional guidelines are known to be flawed, new ones are needed. How flawed, in what way, and how do we move forward with this? The method that was previously used, um, which had a lot less, it was not so based on the specific amino acids. It was more based on amino acids, but protein as a total um, as well. So the big move forward is that now we are basing our quality assessment on the essential amino acids, the ones that the body can't make. That's the same as indispensable or essential. Um, And relating these to how much of the different amino acids our body requires. Your trip to Vienna, you were basically uh, over there discussing these exact issues. What's the appetite like, excuse the pun, for um, moving forward uh, with guidelines along the ideas that you've been suggesting? Well, one of the outputs that's going to come from this meeting that we're still working on is we're putting together an international database of all the different foods that we've got data on in terms of their protein quality. And this international database will be freely available, be available to anyone who wants to use it, maybe just you know normal people, maybe nutritionists, maybe food companies. And we were talking quite a lot on what kinds of foods can be incorporated into this database, what information we need to be very, very sure that the foods that are incorporated are incorporated accurately. So that'll be one of the big outcomes of this. The FAO will be managing this database. So we were talking quite a bit about just how this database should be set up what we can include into it, and all of that kind of information. And one also, another important point with this, is in previous work, the proteins that have foods that have been evaluated tend to be foods that a specific company has interest in, in one way or another. Something we're making sure to do now, which is slightly new, is include foods that are consumed in developing countries and make sure that we can determine their protein quality because there are developing countries that just will not have access necessarily, especially the general population, to a lot of the meat or dairy type foods. They have their own local foods and it's really important that we have information on those foods as well. So that's another part of this whole work. Big food, that uh, has always been a bit of an issue when it comes to nutritional guidelines that get themselves into the public eye, if you like, into public consciousness. And um, there's myriad examples throughout history of um, big food, you know, uh, going down that line and people buying it hook, line and sinker because there's money behind it, there's marketing behind it. But as you say, there's also vested interest. Exactly. And so we've been trying to make sure that some of these 
other foods, things like amaranth, which is in Africa, it's an ancient grain that's used quite a lot. Um, there are parts of the world that eat a lot of cassava or millet, sorghum, rice, which is consumed in quite a lot of different places. But all of these foods we've made sure to include in our evaluation so that when people are trying to, or nutritionists are trying to put together adequate diets in these developing countries, we have the information to do so. Because it's a very confusing field at the moment, I guess you could say, because social media has come along and the internet's come along and there's a lot of information out there for people to consume and digest, not all of it. Uh, You would, I'm sure, agree would be um, 100% accurate. That's very, very true. And that's part of the idea of having an FAO-based database because we will make sure that all of the information in that database is correct. So what's the process from here? I know you've explained it um, to, a, to a point, but um, in terms of this particular work, and it will be widely available and disseminated for people to be able to access, as you say, dietitians, nutritionists right throughout the world? That's, yeah, that's the idea because we want to have this information freely available. Um, I'll mention a particular project that here at the Ritter Institute we're working on, which is called Project Proteus. Mm. This is a project with, for which we made an alliance with Global Dairy Platform in Chicago, the USA. And it's a project that's being funded by a consortium of international food companies. Because it's a consortium, then the specific interests of each individual company aren't being taken into consideration. It's more the general, this is the way we need to advance, this is what we need to do. And as part of this, we've did a lot of validation for methodology. And we've now just about finished evaluating 100 different foods um, of all different kinds of food. And this gives us a very good, strong base to begin all this work and begin all these databases. Right, so it's pan-sector rather than individual companies, as you say, so that sort of can cut things out in terms of uh, bias and things like that to a point at least anyway. Well, that was one of the big ideas of this, and so that we can look at, we put together the list of foods, they did agree to it, but we put together the list of foods, um, looking at different criteria, foods for developing countries, foods from countries that are developed, so... It's a huge, wide range of different foods because when you're testing 100 foods, you can add a really good variety. And one of the interesting things, for example, is we've also included some fruit and vegetables. Most people would think fruit and vegetables, they don't have much protein. They don't have a lot, but there are a lot of people who are eating huge amounts of them, which means that they are starting to become significant. And in fact, in New Zealand, roughly 8% of our protein intake is from fruit and, in, fruit and vegetables. And that's one group that had never been evaluated before. Well, this is very interesting stuff. And uh, listen, I do really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us some information about it and the way that uh, it's going to progress in the future. Dr. Suzanne Hodgkinson from the Riddit Institute, really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Okay, happy to talk about it.